Yes. Making a reveal. Making a reveal. discuss six films that deal in time travel and as usual with the podcast rank and review you are going to be subjected to some coarse language and you're going to be subjected to some spoilers please send any feedback you might have for the show to rank and review at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com and find the show on iTunes, find it on Facebook, and uh, leave me a message, say hello, leave a review, anything you can do to help support the show, tell that other movie lover in your life about Rank and Review. This is, as always, your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, saying thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. Hello, and welcome to... The 91st episode of Rank and Review, and my guest this episode is Colin Zeminoff, and I don't know you very well. <laughs> no, but we have similar friends, and so I think we've heard a lot about each other over yeah. the years, but it's uh, now we get to actually put, you know, get to meet face-to-face. So. And uh, you, you, you're you roommates with Karen Giese. Yeah, we own a house together, so... The one-time uh, Rank and Review champion. <laughs> yeah, there's like, yeah, well, and she <laughs> has let me know that uh, that she has won in the, in the past, so I'm... I'm not gonna make any promises, no. but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to to come away with something. It's either gonna be either all or nothing. So. All or nothing. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can win big, you can lose big. There are prizes at stake, but I like to think that you win just by participating. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I've already lost and I came back in time and now I'm this is my take two but you just don't know it and there's like another version of me hiding somewhere exactly this is my little primer box yeah um well that's what we're talking about today where the substance called time troubles it's the first time I'm dealing exclusively with time travel yes it's not the only time that we've had sort of these sort of Groundhog's Day source code type of storytelling but you chose this list out of a list of many, many lists. <laughs> There's almost 300 projected episodes to see, to see oh, for rank and review. That's awesome. And out of all those ones, uh, you selected time travel. I'm just curious why. Uh, you know, I've just been, I've always been a huge time travel fan. I, I've always been drawn to the idea of being able to potentially change something or what if you could go back and 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 adjust something you know and I don't know what that says about my own life if I you know wanted to change things but I I just it's been fascinating so whether it's been books or or you know weird you know 80s tv shows where something happens and there's a double or something like that it's just been an interesting concept because and even science you know I, I my family has always had documentaries on the go all the time and right. so you know Michio Kaku and you know Discovery and, and all the different um, you know uh, science cable channels out there they've got tons of that stuff out there too and it's just 
I don't know. It's just been something I've been drawn to. So when you said, hey, you want to do, uh, you know, uh, a theme there, it's like, yeah, let's do time travel. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the movies we've got are even, they're time travel themed, but there's different genres at play, yeah. too. So you can kind of get a flavor of different genres with the time travel threads. Well, that's some of the questions that I have. In some cases, are these uh, multiple dimensions or are these opening up, like... That's the whole can of worms thing. I recently did a two-part episode on Star Trek, and we discussed uh, uh, time travel and how if I was a showrunner for Star Trek, my first rule would be no fucking time travel. That's what they, the, the showrunners used to say, actually, is that you were not, if you wanted to pitch, um, yeah. this is like way back when Deep Space Nine and all those things were on, yeah. if you wanted to pitch, it was a rule. You're not allowed to pitch time travel. Yeah. But what were all the favorite episodes? Time travel. Time travel. Well, uh, to me, it just it always opens up problems. Like... You, you always end up, well, like, when, spoilers for Back to the Future, and yeah. if you haven't seen Back to the Future, shame on you. Yes. But when Marty McFly comes back home, and everything has changed, and his entire life is different, he's going to have a real period of adjustment. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of shit that happened, a lot of vacations that he took with his family he has no memory yeah. of. Like, like there's, there's always something, there's always some question mark, some loop that doesn't quite close. Well, and I think the thing with time travel, just the concept of it as far as a storytelling device, is that you are going to irk people either way, because yeah. either you're going to take it very seriously, and you're going to satisfy all the nitpicky detailers out there, or you're going to just throw caution in the wind and say, time travel is cool, and we don't really care about causality, or, or you know, if, if I could go, the, you know, the paradox of killing my grandfather and destroying my whatever... They don't get into that. So, yeah. and then the you know the the diehard detail freaks are going to get upset. So either way, you're either gonna you're gonna you're gonna irk the detailers or you're gonna irk the people who just want a great story. But a really good time travel um, a story in my mind, it will have a blending of the two. And there's a few things that you can say. Ah, okay, that probably the logic there might be a bit fuzzy or maybe it's too above my brain level to comprehend. But you can forgive that. For you sure. know, there are some issues with some of these movies that I will not be able to forgive. We yeah. can get into those. But I mean, all in all, it's it's a, it's a neat way to kind of make people think. Yeah. And like, it, what I like about the genre is what I like about most of the genre stuff that we talk about on the podcast is that it's incredibly flexible. We can include movies like Primer or, or Primer yeah. in, in this selection. We can also include Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Dude, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can include Time Bandits and Time Cop. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not here to talk about Time cop today i hope i didn't get anybody's hopes <laughs> but uh uh well here's the six movies that we are going to meet and discuss today uh looper from ryan johnson who's about to bring us the next entry in star wars oh i did not he's know doing that. the next episode i don't remember what it's called the right one that's now. just in the can right the, now the one that's on its way next christmas yeah the one that uh, carrie the late carrie fisher just that's finished right, up her before. last motion wow. picture so there's that. Then we have uh, The Butterfly Effect, starring Ashton Kutcher. We have Time Crimes, an interesting little ditty. A high school set, probably the most peripherally uh, in its time travel sort of plot line, Detention. Uh, is it Primer or Primer? Because I've heard people say both, and now it's bugging me. I don't, I've always, I don't know how many times I've said it out loud, but I've always just called it Primer in my right, mind. Right, right. Yeah, and, and but I've heard people refer to a scientific primer before. So uh, primer. See, I'd have to let's defer. say primer. Let's go. We got primer and looper. It's it's easier on the mouth. Yeah, it works for me. And we're gonna close with and uh, I, I I never disclose this to you because again we don't know each other super well. Uh, to not me, yet, but not, we will. Not yet. We're I think there's gonna be a lot of <laughs> hugging and crying it out. Uh, we'll be good. Terry Gilliam is one of my very favorite filmmakers. We haven't talked a lot about him in the podcast. Oh. We are going to talk about one of his early films, Time Bandits. 
All right. Those are the six time trouble movies that we're going to talk about, Colin. Is there anything that you would like to say by way of introduction before we jump into this? <laughs> uh, I hope that I don't embarrass myself to your listeners. Uh, <laughs> it, it, bear with me. I'm not the most time travel scientific person out there. <laughs> right. I like what I like. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, whatever you take away from these movies, have a great time with time travel in general. You know, uh, watch them, read the books, have fun with it, with it. It's just a really fun genre. Agreed. Let's do it. Let's do it. I am one of many specialized assassins called loopers. We eliminate people from the future. Time travel has not yet been invented, but 30 years from now, it will have been. So when criminal organizations in the future need someone gone, they zap them back to me, and I do the necessaries. The only rule is... Never let your target escape. Even if your target is you. Okay, so let's start with Looper. Looper. Um, I often am guilty of talking about baggage that I bring to movies. And sometimes the baggage helps me and sometimes it hinders me. You're talking me. like former relationships, <laughs> exactly. lost pets. Uh, or... My ex-boyfriend made this film. No. <laughs> um, but, for instance, we re- reviewed a Live, Die, Repeat, this uh Tom Cruise okay. science fiction space battle okay. thing. And I was like impressed by it because I wasn't that excited to watch a Tom Cruise science fiction. As you should be. Like, that <laughs> like, should not be. Like, I'm not a huge yeah. Tom Cruise fan either. Typically, I don't get worked up about it and it overperforms. I've gotten to the point in my life where I just don't get excited about Bruce Willis. Like, he, Bruce Willis has been a star for so long. He's yeah. been diehard for so long. He's done that tough, gruff Bruce Willis thing. Well, and that's the thing. is like Bruce Willis is always Bruce Willis. Yeah. He is a Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson type. Uh, Will Smith, where you're, you're not really... They're not really acting. They're just saying dialogue in their same character way, you yeah. know? So, uh, yeah, it's never really different with them. Bruce Willis does not excite me as a performer. I don't think he's bad necessarily. He just doesn't like, ooh, ooh, Bruce Willis, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, so every now and then, just be by the sheer number of movies he does, he'll hook himself up with an auteur, and all of a sudden the sixth sense happens. Yep. Right? Yep. Or in this case, with Ryan Johnson, he hooks himself up with Looper, where he's not the main focus of the film. He is and isn't the main character, because yeah. the main character is split between two performances. He and Joseph Gordon Levitt. Play the same character, this Looper. This is sort of a roundabout way of saying it. I backed into Looper. I didn't sort of jump right on the train and say, I'm going to watch Looper. Let's get excited yeah, about it. No. And I might be one of these guys who came to it late and I just liked it more because, you know, it. I didn't have the expectation. Of How it. late did you come into it? Because it's a 2012. So yeah. you just watch it like. I, I got it. Ago? I got it recently enough. Like, I, like, I think I paid like six bucks for it at Walmart. Okay, so it had yeah. been out for a couple of years. Yeah, right? okay, fair enough. And I was curious enough, I like Ryan Johnson as a director. Brick is an interesting movie. It's a high school set whodunit. Oh, and fun. he did this movie called The Brothers Bloom, which is really good if you like sort of con artist movies. He's an interesting guy. But this seemed pretty different. This seemed science fiction. This yep. seemed time travel. So here we go. I will let you speak, but I'll just try I'll take <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'm gonna take a, a whack at this plot. Sure. We are introduced to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and he tells us about his lifestyle of a looper. He is rich. He's affording these high-profile drugs that he drips into his eyes that makes him party all night long, and he finances this by being a hitman. He's given a time and place. It's a field in the middle of nowhere where there's a tarp laid out. A person appears in front of him, tied up. 
He shoots the person dead. Tied up and uh, the bag over bag their head. over their head, right? Shoots them, takes the gold or whatever, the payment that's on the body, disposes of the body, parties on. This is what's referred to as a looper. And the reason is, is that eventually, in order to cover their tracks, your future self gets sent back and executed by you. Which kind of seems like a bit of a loop, like right. a loophole right. in in the plot, uh, you know, that you'd be in charge of killing yourself. Why wouldn't they just kind of like shift one over and be like, okay, I'll kill you, you kill me, and then Does there's no... Does it matter who kills the looper? Does well, it have to be him who kills himself? Well, exactly, right? Because I mean, <laughs> yeah. the whole plot would fall apart. I don't know. It's the way that the powers that be decide to do things. And all of the business about the time travel and the rules of it are necessarily vague for all of the reasons we discussed in the introduction. I th well, and I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, at one point, Bruce Willis is in the, the, the diner um, with his younger self. And he's like, listen, we could do a whole bunch of maps, you know, and, and, and figure everything's out, but we'd be here forever. So in a nutshell, he's got this line of dialogue that says, we don't care about the science of the time travel. Yeah. We just got to deal with stuff. We you have know? a mutual problem. Problem that we yeah. need to solve. Yeah, yeah. So yes, his loop comes up, but it's Bruce Willis. His future self is Bruce Willis, and he escapes. And that means that the powers that be are after him, and he is after his older self. But his older self is a much more experienced, intelligent version of him. So well, and at the same time, there's also this weird telekinesis thing happening uh, in the. Uh, this is a little bit memories. in our future. Like it's it's not this. It's not right now. It's a little bit in the future, whatever year it is. Yeah. And yeah, people can like whatever they. Uh, they, they have a nickname for it. It's like a TK or something like right. that. And you can make, you know, float a coin or something People like that. People are starting to have psychic abilities. So yeah. it's a world. Like, this is not a movie that you can easily bubble down into a TV guide, you know, yeah. <laughs> explanation. It was so. a pretty well-realized world, though, you know? Like, I, I felt like there weren't too many things that made me scratch my head too much. I mean, the, the TK in the, in the beginning was kind of introduced, but then... Um, I have to be honest, I didn't even remember it was a thing until like about a third or half of the movie had it gone through. And I was like, oh, right, okay, yeah, this is a thing, you know? So they kind of introduce and then just you forget all about it. Um, but it, it didn't, nothing felt too hokey, right. you know? Um, you other weren't than taken the, out of it, necessarily. No, other than the, the total, you know, head scratcher of why you would be responsible for killing yourself. Right. I mean, if we're just lining up people to kill them and sending them back in time for these yeah. loopers to kill, uh, have Bob do it. Have somebody else do it where there can be no, <laughs> you know, cluing yourself in. Some future gangster got off on the existential horror of it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. We're not privy to that scene. But what I will say is within the first 15 minutes or so, we're introduced to the world and we know enough of it to sort of feel like we get the rules. Yep. Um, and I think that's the pass or fail on, on Looper. You either go with this ride or you go against it. So I'm curious to hear where you landed. Um, well, okay, so I full disclosure, I'd seen this movie before, right. uh, before re-watching it uh, to be with you here today. But um, I, I went with it. Um, there were some, you know, I've got some notes here about things that kind of, you know, where if I really wanted a nitpick, if I really wanted to rip it to shreds. That's what we're here um, to do. <laughs> but at the same time, like, you, I think a person can take a back seat and say, was it, a, was it a, a good enough story? So, like, there were some things that I was like, okay, you know, setting yourself back in time. Uh, there's no... Um, and this is where the science people who really know time travel and all these theories <laughs> might get me, but yeah, head. like it's like causality or something like that. So in, you know, there's a spoiler, but one of the guys, uh, starts, uh, he's 
not Bruce Willis. He's about he's an assassin. He's about to kill uh, a, a person who's been blinked into the tarp, uh, you know, and he's got to shoot him. And the guy starts singing a song. Well, then he knows by the song that it's his future self that he's got to kill, right? And he can't do it. And he can't do it. And then, but you know, uh, this long big thing happens, and he gets his uh, his younger self gets kidnapped. And the future self is still running around, and then all of a sudden these scars start appearing on him, and his fingers start disappearing, yep. and he's like, "Oh my gosh, they've got younger me." Well, dude, if your fingers are just disappearing right now, what happened to the, all the other Memories. 30 years of your life that had, you know, since that finger was cut off, that implies that you were kept alive for that period of time and you became that person. How don't you, you have those memories? How did none of those butterfly effecty ripples in, in, in you know, uh, chain reactions yeah. prevent you from having the experience that you're having right now? So that made me kind of go like, we're dealing with some either weird, just make it up science that that this not there's no cause and effect yeah or we're dealing with parallel universe or whatever but i was just enjoying it so i didn't really question it too much you know it's well, still kind of a neat pl plot device that scene that you're talking about and another scene involving an actor who i like called garrett delahunt uh are the Which two one's scenes garrett he comes to the farmhouse to question uh the woman who's protecting her son oh is he the one from that comedy with the uh, uh raising hope or whatever he was like a country bumpkin uh, guy check I, it out it's like a, i haven't seen the show yeah but uh he is a jerry award-winning actor for his work in the remake for the last house on the left oh. he plays a villain in that movie very chillingly and he shows up in movies like no country for old men and uh the road he's got small roles okay. in both of those anyway he shows up in one scene uh this is getting into deeper into the plot um, Emily Blunt lives on a farm and she's protecting this son who we find out through the plot is very psychic. Yeah, like and huge telekinesis powers. When he is threatened, as what happens with the Delahunt character, this man is lifted off the ground and he explodes so severely that basically the entire inside of the house is coated with gore. Yeah, it's the same guy I'm thinking of. Yeah. And then the story that you were talking about, the guy who got away, but his past self is kept hostage and literally his limbs are cut off and his fingers are just disappearing in mm -hmm. front of his eyes so it seems those two scenes are horror movie scenes yep yep those 100%. are like like surprisingly dark for this type of genre and i really like that because i like the horror genre and i've posited in the past on this podcast that most movies are secretly in some way kind of a horror movie and i think this is definitely true of looper it's one of these movies that we have. Uh, well, the ending. I mean, that, I, okay, I know you say spoilers are allowed, but I don't want to say, well, you, maybe I will. But well, that ending we can is get horrifying, it, but... you know, how they end. So I, I could totally see where you're going with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when, I'm, when I sit down to watch a movie like Looper, there's a certain expectation that I have. And it, you know, it filled all the needs of your time travel adventure stories. I think that the loops work within the universe. But on top of that, we had this layer of horror yeah. <laughs> of genuine fucking yikes horror. <laughs> uh, and that makes the stakes real that makes us worry for emily blunt's character yeah. makes us worry for the kid makes me worry of what the evil uh, in the movie is capable of well and there's a bit of redeeming qualities there too like they kind of at the end he finds his you know humanity or i guess he prevents himself from having lost it in the first place yeah. you know or uh so so you kind of see that there's a really true person there who who even though he was an assassin, even though he was, uh, and they didn't really get into that too much. Like you don't really see any kind of Tarantino, you know, blood guts and gore from his days of as an assassin, which they could have easily done. The violence you know? is within the service of the story for the most part. Yeah, and and so, but even though he was an assassin, and did all these horrible things. You still 
empathized with him. And at the end, he does a pretty noble, decent thing. Uh, the younger Bruce Willis. I always want to call him Jennifer Love Hewitt. But <laughs> Joseph I, I, Gordon. Joseph loved Gordon loved it. Yeah. Uh, who, by the way, does a pretty mean uh, Bruce Willis impersonation with the makeup and the. I was skeptical of it, to be honest, because really? I don't think. Well, no, going into it, I was okay. skeptical of it because they don't look anything alike. And they basically accomplish it in a montage. They show us a series of shots of yeah. Joseph, Joseph Gordon Levitt getting older and looking more like. Bruce Willis until all of a sudden he looks like Bruce Willis. I went with it. Yeah, but, I, well, I mean, you could tell that there's a bit of prosthetics happening, mm -hmm. but uh, Joseph Gordon, Gordon what's his face, yeah. Levitt, has the um, the luxury of uh, being able to watch all of those Bruce Willis movies where Bruce Willis is being Bruce Willis. Those you know, so are just they're there. all there. Like you've got a, a, a you know a PhD class in in how to <laughs> you know master's class in how to be Bruce Willis. So yeah. of course you can watch those and get those mannerisms. And when Hollywood does up your makeup, you can kind of do a good job. And he didn't disappoint me. He yeah. it was kind of like that thing where <laughs> Nicole Kidman won that award for being Sylvia Plath, one the of those hours. poets where she the hours where she had the nose piece or whatever, yeah. and it was just enough to kind of make you think I'm not looking at Nicole Kidman. I'm, it's not her being her. She's someone else. And that was what it was with with him being Bruce Willis. It was a little bit prosthetic-y, but it's still, I, I suspended my There's disbelief. There's performance there. There's performance Yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the movie is guilty, I guess, in a way of something that I complain about too. It's more popular in TV, but it's in movies too, where there's a sort of a who do we cheer for vibe to the movie. Like in the end. Like how so? I mean, we like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's our mm -hmm. protagonist, but he's a contract killer drug addict. Yeah, yeah. Right? But again, they didn't really um, paint that too darkly, right? It, was, it wasn't it was like Rainbows and Disney when he was killing people and putting those drug drops in his eyes. But he, you still got a sense that he was lost. And, oh, poor Joseph. He's just, you know, he's a lost man and just trying to, you know, have a life. He, he had a, a woman that he loved and did all these things. And the, the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of him killing people for money... It was a plot device, I think, and it really wasn't um, in our faces too much in the movie. He seemed a person in denial about himself, right? He's okay with these murders because they're people from the future and it doesn't really count. He can justify it to himself. But every night he's pouring drugs into his eyes. Yeah. Literally, I thought it was interesting that he was pouring it into his eyes. It was an interesting specific choice, right? There's this uh, prostitute, Pepper Paravo, who he loves, but you kind of get the idea that... It's all part of the party. Like, oh, well, and the, the one scene that I really liked was, um, I can't remember, it's halfway earlier on in the movie, first third or so, and he's having this kind of heart-to-heart -heart with her, and it, it, my take on it, she's staring at the clock, which yeah. is kind of neat because it's a time travel movie, she's staring at the clock, it's about yeah. time, but you know that she's just really, she's on the clock because she's a prostitute, and there's really no connection and there. All and all of these stoned hitmen are all in love with her. They're yeah. just, this is his hour. See, and I wonder too, um, how much of the us not hating him for being a killer and being a drug addict is uh, because of his performance. Like, I think a significant amount of it is because I almost forgot up until now that he also turned in his friend yeah. that was in the basement for money, right? Yeah. So pretty dastardly, crappy things to do. But he's that Joseph Lovett guy, and you just like him because he's just so gosh darn likable, I guess. But like, I fall back on my horror analogy because that's who I am as a person, right? <laughs> a lot of times you'll have horror movies that have tragic endings, and it's sort of pointless. A bunch of kids go to the wrong place at the wrong time, and they get killed. Yeah. But sometimes it's a tragic you ending. You need the empathy to yeah. give a crap. Sometimes a tragic ending. Spoilers from a movie from 1963, The Haunting, for instance, where the protagonist is led to this cruel fate because of a fatal flaw within them, right? Mm-hmm. And 
It's interesting because our character is led to, I guess, arguably a cruel fate because of a fatal flaw within him. But in spite of that, his final act is the most noble act of his life. Yeah, and he's he's very his portrayal is very human, you know, <laughs> uh, and that's why you give a crap about him. Like um, sidebar uh, to. Um, Alien franchise. I love James Cameron Alien. I love the Ridley Scott because they were people who were in a situation, and I empathize and I gave a shit. Yeah. But every, pretty much every single other one, and just random people show up and start getting devoured. I don't care how much blood or guts happens. I don't care. Yeah. But with this, this year, uh, young Bruce Willis uh, yeah. was, you know, okay. I I give a crap about him. He seems very human. I can kind of relate to you, know, not because I've ever been a hitman, but because he's <laughs> making it relatable through through what he's doing. You know. Yeah, and he is trying in his way to do the right thing. <laughs> well, yeah, he's basically battling himself. He yeah. he literally battling his older self, who is, and that's kind of this interesting thing to think about because older Bruce Willis um, is uh, he's been in love with this uh, beautiful uh, woman that he met while he was in uh, China or Thailand or wherever the heck he was and so he's fighting for something that's very real to him and he was granted an undeserved redemption just by meeting the right woman right yeah, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt the young guy acquires his redemption by making a choice yeah um, I also want to go back because I started sort of shit-talking Bruce Willis. Okay. They use Bruce Willis as the badass in this one. He has a very clear trajectory. He wants to get back to the way it was and hopefully, you know, spare his wife from this terrible fate. And uh, Oh, yeah, because she's murdered. Because she is murdered yeah. when, they, when they capture him. Um, and he is full-on vengeful Bruce Willis. And you know what? Bruce Willis has proved many times before he can do this. Yeah. And when he goes as a one-man killing machine and takes out all these professional hitmen, a lot of times it would be a really cheesy sequence. But for some reason, because he got Bruce Willis, we believe it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There's lots of great little details, too. I like that one of the major henchmen constantly kept on fucking it up. Uh, and we kept on going back to that character where you're going to see this is the scene where he actually achieves. And you know, for a second, I thought that, that uh, if we're talking about the same guy, that he was going to be the... Um, Major bad sort of obstacle. The, yeah, the boss dude, you know? Yeah. And then uh, I was like, okay, well, that's... that's I can, I'm can. i so smart, I've already figured this out. That's not how it played yeah. out. But I thought, okay, maybe he's protecting his younger self and letting this guy screw up all the time, you know? Uh, you got Jeff Daniels showing up in a small role as the one guy sent back from the future to run the loopers. So he kind of talks above everybody else and seems put out because he knows what he's being denied by living in the past. Yeah, yeah. he's like, uh, I'm from the future, guys. It's just a movie full of great details. And if it doesn't 100% hold together, it holds together enough that I will 100% endorse Looper. Um, I guess that's where I wash up on it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I agree. I would uh, totally endorse this movie. I think it's, uh, I think it's a fun time, and it, it, it's not... Because I have a big issue with huge Hollywood movies where everything's just exploding all over the place and I don't really give a crap because yeah. if I don't give a crap, I don't give a crap and I'll just, I, I, I don't want to watch. Well, there's brains behind these explosions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there is. And so, like, I mean, there's, there's, there's some special effects happening and there's some adrenaline happening and there's some really neat fight scenes. But at the end of the day, I, I, I cared and I watched the whole thing. And I think, you know, for a fun ride with a bit of a time travel flavor to it, yeah, give her a go. Remember when we were kids and I used to have those blackouts? Well, some of those memories have been coming back to me. There are moments in life we choose to remember. Do you think that we'll be together forever? <laughs> and some memories. Get out of you! 
never forget. All I know is if by reading these journals, I might be able to get Kaylee back. I'd think twice about what you're doing. You could wake up a lot worse off than you are now. I haven't seen results like this before. But what if you could go back in time? You are completely relaxed. Think of it like a movie. You can pause, rewind, or slow down. Could you save the one person that mattered the most? Oh, Ashton Kutcher. Oh, He's Ashton. so dreamy. <laughs> That's pretty much all he's got going for him, though. Yeah. This is uh, Butterfly Effect. It was sort of released in the height of the Ashton, Ashton Kutcher, and yeah. yes, I guess. I was never 100% on board with Ashton Kutcher. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch the 70s show regularly, but I understood that he played the dumb guy, and I've played the dumb guy enough on stage to know it's not hard. <laughs> well, and I think the thing with him that always gets me, and you, it's apparent, uh, is that he's just he was a model or something yeah. like that 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 got into Hollywood. So he's always just been, you know, this kind of you know word spouting, moving person on film. I've never really, you don't really get a sense that he's emoting or do. He's not acting. He's just being some guy who's talking on film. I I saw his. Steve Jobs movie on an airplane oh, yeah? and I watched it because I was on an airplane I remember almost nothing oh, <laughs> I remember yeah. almost nothing about it some, like, some casting directors like yeah you look like him let's give you money to be him um Look, I, I'm not even going to be mean about it. I don't think that he sucks or anything like that. But I'm saying that he's in this movie because he was a hot property at the time. I, I 100% agree with you. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, there's there's no. I think someone else could have done it better. I don't think the movie really suffered a whole bunch because of him. But he didn't really do anything. He's right. kind of just like Bleh. Amy Smart, though. I thought was really good. Yeah, and I think it was relying on the popularity of Kushner to sort of put asses in seats, and yeah. then to you know selling to the Team B crowd this tough premise. Our main character finds out that he has this ability or curse that uh, he can reset the clock on his life. It costs him. It hurts his brain. It causes him nosebleed. There's a physical payback. But if he needs to reset the clock, he can basically rewind to any point and start again. Using the, by reading the book that he started, a journal that he started taking notes in. Yeah. So he's suffered from blank spots of memory in his youth that all get accounted for. And anytime something goes south, he can try to go back in time and fix it. But as is the case in these sort of ripple effect, twilight zone things, Anytime you try to fix something, it either gets worse or it causes another problem. It yeah. Is, it, it's... Uh, it, it, well, it's called... So I just... <laughs> the one thing that got me is like, okay, the butterfly effect, right? So the butterfly... This movie has nothing to do with absolutely. butterfly effects, right? So so um, there's a whole bunch of stuff about who first coined butterfly effect. And Ray Bradbury wrote this, uh, you know, what short stories. Story, yeah, yeah, The Sound of Thunder. Yeah. The Sound of Thunder. 1952. So say my notes. And... Um, it was about how, you know, this one guy, he can time travel, but you're not supposed to touch anything. He squashes a butterfly. And the whole world has changed now because, because this one butterfly millions of years ago changed the whole ripple effect of everything. And the actual coining of the term butterfly effect was how the flapping of a butterfly could, you know, uh, end up in a monsoon or a typhoon on the other side of the world because of, the you know, these ripple chain effects. Neither of which play in any way. No, especially as far as the butterfly effect, there was no subtle flapping of wings. There's like mayhem and murder and dogs being set on fire, like monsoon. <laughs> Monumentally catastrophic Mailboxes events. Mailboxes exploding, people being bludgeoned. Yeah, death. there's no subtlety, uh, no no butterflies. We got pretty much every depravity. Yeah, it was like pretty much us. over the top, like uh, not over the top in a, in a horrible way, but like not subtle, yeah. not subtle in the slightest. No little flapping of wings changing the world, like monumental mayhem changing 
his well, life. And I think that's my beef with the butterfly effect, almost wall to wall, is that it's not subtle. I, I think it's a movie that's a little bit impressed with itself. <laughs> like, <laughs> we got a really cool premise, and we got a yeah. hot star, so this is going to be guaranteed... Well, yeah, right? I, I see the pitch for this movie going, we've got a great vehicle for Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. You know, we've got a hot writer and a hot... So let's just put him out and make some money. But uh, I think in the, sort of the idea of, okay, we're going to have a timeline where he's an amputee and we're going to have a timeline where he goes to prison. We're going to have... Like, they can, we, made can, up we these... have, can we talk about the timeline where he's dressed like an absolute chotch in yeah. like fluorescent <laughs> like jogging clothes <laughs> that were even just bad and eye-rolling... In 2004, when this was made, I think it was supposed to be funny, though, was it? Like I, that was I deliberate, right? I really don't know. I didn't <laughs> think so. I was kind of like seriously. I don't know. It was, it was I, pretty bad. The point is, like, I think that like they shaped the idea of like the story so that the story made sense in their heads. But each individual beat, they kind of just did a one coat of paint on. Mm-hmm. So like Amy Spart has a troubled childhood. Because A, she chose to stay with her abusive father and she's molested by a neighbor, right? Like, intro to psychoanalysis, what's going to fuck up a little girl, right? Bad dad, sexually abused, right? And, like, I don't mean to belittle it, but it's just they they went with the two most obvious things and hit them as hard as they possibly could. Uh, you know, I, it was kind of interesting to see Eric Stoltz, who's usually playing a charming character, play... Who, who was also in Back to the Future, so another time travel uh, connection, connection <laughs> there for... Uh, he, he was, was fired from he Back was to the Future. He wasn't in it. He was in it, and then they replaced it with Michael J. Fox. He was and... almost Marty because he was drunk off of his Oscar nomination <laughs> and apparently kind of treating people like shit. Is that what it was for Elephant Man? Or no, he, from... he got the ma- nominated for The Mask. The Mask, that's what it was, because he had yeah. the elephant titus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, oh, sure. anyway... Eric Stoltz is his own movie, his own story. Uh, I, I like him as an actor, and I kind of miss him. He's sort of moved on to being directing. This is like yeah. one of the fewer high-profile things I remember seeing him in. He's sort of kind of quietly gone behind the scenes. But, yeah, I like, you know, isolated beats of the movie. I think you're absolutely right when you say that Amy Smart gives a good performance. We see the range between sunshine happiness to this sort of, like, completely blitzed out, you know, drug victim prostitute. And yeah. she plays both sides of the coin very convincingly. Well, I, I think she was probably the only one who was really cast well. The mum was a little bit too hokey for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about her voice that just... Uh, she's got the a child's car. voice. Yeah, she's like, hey, Ashton, you should be doing what... I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you're not a mom, you're whatever. And then the little kid who... I'm sorry if they're listening to this as adults and, and getting mad at me or their fans are listening right now, <laughs> but I don't see how this little kid could have any fans. He was pretty bad. He was this short little two-foot-nothing blonde kid, and he beats somebody like three times size at the movie theater when Ashton Kutcher is kissing his sister yeah. and I was like okay this, there's no way that this little runty kid is even believed like everybody was just cast pretty bad yeah. um, but this one I was kind of I, I stayed on the fence for when I originally saw it I was on the because it was a time travel movie it was kind of fun um, I had not re-seen it since 2004 until right. watching it for this podcast you're so, welcome <laughs> <laughs> but you know I mean it's, it makes you think hey, what do you like about you know different things uh it just uh, Ashton Kutcher running around in a house coat in the first, you know, you know, opening scene, writing into his journal saying, "If you're reading this, I'm already dead." It should be a hook, but I was kind of like, eh, you know, like I wasn't. It, there, nothing really propelled me uh, through it uh, a whole bunch, you know. But it was, it was interesting enough. Yeah. Again, it's not, it's not a bad movie. It's just like. I think that it thinks that it's a better movie than it is. Or it's one of those, again, I, I keep repeating myself, but there's bad movies that are just lame. It's poorly executed. It's poorly acted. It's just like it's a chore to watch. 
And then there's the really frustrating movies where they're haunted by the much better movie that they could be. Yeah. You can sort of see the afterglow images of the movie that could be there. Or you see <laughs> flavors of what the script might have been before some Hollywood executive started, you know, fucking it up. Uh, and it's just a little bit dumber than it needs to be and a little bit, you know... A little bit flashier, I think, in a lot of ways. This, I, I made a note here when I was watching this, saying that this was kind of it was a dystopian, melancholy version of Back to the Future. <laughs> so you're you're fixing things without the adventure and the comedy, and it was pretty bleak, you know, like because there are different types of time travel movies. You know, there are some uh, where time travel is just a, a MacGuffin. You're just kind of it's just there, but we don't really care about it. You're not really using it as a uh, anything that you can go and fix things. You know, in right. this one, he's trying to fix things, and those just time travel stories in general where someone is trying to fix or repair or remedy a situation um, those are some of my favorite time travel movies of mm -hmm. all time and this one attempted that uh, and the bleak thing part of it wasn't wasn't so bad I think that was the tone of it I mean at the end of the movie we find out that everybody was better off if Ashton Kutcher was dead it's the opposite of it's a wonderful life <laughs> It was like it was a non-existent life. He yeah. kills himself in the womb. Spoiler. Yeah. And he um, so and his girlfriend had a better life because she, you know, she was able to live with her family and not be everybody you know, but abused. his mom. Basically, everybody was happy that Ashton Kutcher died. Yeah. Um. So that's yeah. good. I was going to ask which version you watched because it is in the director's cut oh. that uh, he goes back all the way back to the womb and somehow manages to kill himself. You know, I think those are the only two. Like I've only seen it twice, and yeah. I've seen the same version each time. Uh, the uh, other version that's the version I watched too but I have the DVD which will give you the option the other version so is if I want to watch it a third time I can see it if you want to see it again because it relies on the kids the, the crux to him was when he told Amy Smart that he liked her which made her decide that she was going to stay with her dad instead of go live with her mom Okay. and that put her on the path to be living with drunk dad and the abusive neighbor and 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 so by basically scaring her away, she chose to go a different life. Oh, so Ashton Kutcher lives. So in the Ashton original. Kutcher lives, mm. but uh, you know he's lonely. And... So even the director wanted to kill Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, but uh, they went. The director's cut. Go for the dark ending. And I say, if you can kill Ashton Kutcher, do why it. wouldn't you? <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> he played Steve Jobs. I didn't hear that worked out too. <laughs> exactly. <well for> <laughs> uh, I should feel something. Like, I, again, there's all these He doesn't emote. Scenes. He just doesn't emote. He's there's, just a, a walking guy who's saying words, unfortunately. The idea of a person who's able to go back into the womb and knowing them kill themselves is weirdly creepy and profound. And the mirror image of that happens earlier in the film where he meets his father, and his father lunges across a table and tries to kill him mm -hmm. because his father knows that his son suffers the same curse. Yeah. Right? And again, this should be, like, really compelling. Well, I mean, before there are hits points of the movie where, um, when it's the two actors uh, that that aren't Ashton Kutcher, the younger version of uh, Kutcher and the father, uh, Callum Keith Rennie, yeah, um, that that's that's kind of a neat little thing there. You're like, okay, whoa, what's happening? Because it's like a quick little cut, and all of a sudden he's being strangled, and you're you think, oh wow, this is this is actually kind of engaging. You know, yeah. don't get me wrong, the movie isn't atrocious. It's not bad. It's uh, uh if I would have seen, I've never seen it in the theater, but right. if I had, I don't think I'd be demanding my money back. It's right. a good way to you know kill a couple hours if you're checking your email and you got it on the TV and your computer's open. Nothing wrong with it, but it's, but it's not, not stellar. It's, you can't get excited about it. Uh, you just can't. I mean, no. for me, it's going to rank pretty low on this list, but to be fair, it's got some pretty stiff competition. So. Yeah, that's that's true. And this one is kind of reminiscent of uh, Looper a little bit but with the, the ending and the, the suicide. You know, yeah. you, you so they're trying to be these noble things and apparently the only way to fix time travel, travel is to kill yourself. 
Time travel is like the uh, scientific werewolf fight. The only way out is death. Yeah, and it just gets worse as they go along. talk about time crimes uh it is directed by a man named nacho vigalando uh it's spanish film and it's awesome it is yeah <laughs> super awesome 2007 wicked cool I, i'd say that in spanish like the language it's filmed in but i don't speak spanish yes. so i'm sorry i will not insult the spanish people um, this is one of those super complicated to explain time travel movies yeah. so i think Again, I'm just going to reiterate, you are so benefited by just watching this movie and not knowing anything. Yeah. If you're sitting down and listening to this review and thinking, uh, they've said it's awesome, I will watch this time yeah, travel Yeah, pause movie. right now. Like, just if you stop. like time travel or just good films in general, just, like, watch it and then mark where the time is on here and then come back. Here's what I love about the movie. Like, as far as I can see, the loops in time close fairly, fairly well. Mm -hmm. Everything makes sense. It's 83. Five minutes long, something like this. It's super short. It had my attention though the whole time. And you are riveted. It's ninety-two. Pardon me. It's ninety-two minutes long, but you're riveted for the whole. Oh time. man! Like the first thing that I wrote down because I, I I was watching this and I, this this movie I have the fewest notes on because yeah. not because there it. wasn't anything to say. There's so many things to say about it, but I was watching and like my very first note is had me interested with the opening credits and typography. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I, I'm a designer, I kind of get off on that stuff, but it was. Uh, just right at the beginning, you just you get a tone, and you're just like, okay, this is gonna be something fun. Uh, this is basically gonna be a list of things that I love about the movie that I'm gonna say. It's a pretty gushy review. Go for it. Uh, the main character is a middle-aged dude. Mm -hmm. He looks like a middle-aged dude. He looks like a real person. He's, He's not some Hollywood. A little bit overweight. He's losing some of his hair. He's just a guy enjoying his backyard who has a nice marriage. Yep. Having a pleasant afternoon, checking out his environment through the binoculars, loving life. And he sees something disquiet, disquiets him in the bushes. He gets a glimpse of what looks like a guy wearing a pink bandage and a naked woman. Yeah, which is so European too. Yes, you know? Yeah. But again, all of these are hooks. You're you're immediately curious about both of those things. His wife is running an errand, so he goes to investigate. And well, and it's a little, that's almost, where the dominoes start to fall. <laughs> it's almost like a little bit of choreography in the beginning, and because um, right when the when the tone was set with just that those opening scenes and stuff, I, I'm hooked. I'm watching, but you see him doing different things in his house, and I'm like, okay, well, this might actually play into things, you know? And of course and it, it will. Yeah, it's like a waltz or something where he's a here, he's there, he's there, and then stuff happens, and you're like, this might happen, come back later. The first pass through, he gets a phone call, and no one's on the other end of the line. And we follow his character until he gets to a place where he calls his own phone number and hears himself pick up the other line. Yeah. And he doesn't know what to say. He's so in shock. And that justifies that phone call. I think, like, again, uh, somebody could tell me that there's, like, holes in the logic of this. And maybe there are. I just didn't see any immediately upon watching. This was probably my third pass. But I think that the real important thing with this movie is where do we choose to start? Because in a lot of ways, the start point of this movie could have been anywhere in the yeah. world. 
It could have been him getting out of the machine. It could have been him being chased by the dude with the bandages. It could have been... There's all sorts of places they could have just started you in the middle of the action. Because it turns out not only do we not know exactly where all these timelines line up, but we're not sure which timeline we started with. <laughs> yeah, well, and because all of the, all of them, was it Hector? Yes. Uh, yeah, so there's Hector 1, there's Hector 2, there's Hector 3, yeah. uh, referenced that way in the film, and they, they all overlap, and they interact with each other, yeah. and... and there, there was a few points where I was like, okay, um, I think I know where this is going. You know, uh, not because it was, you know, such an easy, flimsy plot. That's the total opposite of it. But um, I, I, they say in magic, whenever you see uh, people who are all dressed the same and they're wearing masks or something, there's going to be a bait and switch. And, right. and one of the people's going to say, hey, it's me. You know, so um, that something like that happens in this movie. And I was like, okay, I think this is going to happen. But the way that it ended up happening still like it was for it was like i don't care like this is this is awesome this yeah. is cool and the the way that the time loops happen uh just as a, as a function of the storytelling um the one of them seems a little repetitive because it's him we're seeing then from the hector 2 side of watching him making watching what again. he saw from the hector 1 side and so that's a little repetitive but it's still engaging because it's from the a different perspective, right? Yeah. And it's explaining as it's going. But then the other time loops after that were pretty much all new with a little bit of repetition in it, but just enough to keep me going through the entire thing and, and just eating it up like candy. It was yeah. really good. There's a strange morality to the movie too uh, from two of the main characters. Obviously Hector's our main character. He re ends up being accidentally responsible for a completely innocent woman's death <laughs> and because of a, a mistake of perspective believes that it's going to end up being his wife's death right yeah so uh the perspective work is weird but in a way to solve this that woman still ends up dead right yeah. that is a price of doing business and on the other hand we have the scientist who uh friend or foe that's the hardest character to read especially on first pass through the movie when he first encounters a scientist you know there's something up with the scientist like oh yeah <laughs> like you're just like hey who is this guy what's going on but the guy he's foe, responsible for the for the entire thing he's enabling this entire story without him there would be no story he was doing experiments with the time machine and he wasn't supposed to be so not only is he trying to cover up the mess that's being created by the time split mm -hmm. but he's trying to save his own ass <laughs> save his job he's like don't get me fired man like, or whatever who knows he says. maybe there was somebody he could call that could make all this shit go yeah. away right but he's not making that phone call so that's making it was more and more problematic uh, I don't know how the title trans translates, but I think Time Crimes is really punchy and smart because uh, in order to solve his problem, and arguably he does, if I understand the movie right, we can debate this, yeah. uh, he's a murderer. He is, but he... See, that's the thing. Is the, and it gets back to your point about where does this movie start? What's the entry point, right? Because had none of this happened, he's a very likable, nice guy. He's just having a great day. Just but someone else did this to him, but that someone else wasn't him yet yeah. when these things happen. <laughs> so the, the main guy that we're introduced to only ends up becoming who he is because he was sent through these loops. So really, he's almost like a passive murderer victim of the time <laughs> travel junkie who's turning on the machine and screwing up people, yeah. you know? Um, and that poor, the, the girl with the Schrodinger cat yeah. uh, t-shirt, which is I thought was pretty cool, uh, she, uh, on the bike, she she's like, you gotta feel sorry for wrong this place. poor woman. Wrong time. Yeah, wrong time. Man, so many wrong times for her. Like, she just could not get a break. Um, but it's interesting, like I said, uh, 
it's a really, really high, hard to sell premise in a lot of ways. Like it sounds ridiculous when we're saying it out loud, but we believe it. We believe Hector. We feel his desperation and we understand what he's trying to do to solve the problem. Yeah. You know, even the stuff we predicted, like right away when he saw the dude with the bandages, I'm going to say, well, that's him, right? Yeah. The movie's called Time Crimes, but it's how we get there. There was one moment where I was a little bit, uh, and I, maybe I should rewatch it again, but I... He's had a car accident, and there was, it was almost like a switch went off, and he puts on the bandages, and now he's he him. I, I felt like I needed a bit more of a beat to, to kind of have that transition from Hector 1 into Hector 2. And it was just like, okay, now we got pink bandages, and we put it on. The rest of the movie, but that one little point for me is just like, why is this, maybe if we had, um, if we could see a flash inside of his mind or he could have some kind of monologue to explain his fears and why he was switching over and that he felt he needed to propel the yeah. the the uh, this timeline to 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 loop in the way that it did that was my only criticism of the whole th- the rest of it was just brilliant though well to me he's working against the clock and as far as the discovery he has the car accident and he starts wrapping his head mm-hmm. and after about probably the third loop he knows the third time loop when he's Hector three no, you the, mean the, the third loop of the band oh, yeah. oh, around yeah. his head yeah he's like oh he it's wraps me. the band it was me so Son where am I supposed bitch. to be. Yeah, and uh, instead of questioning it, he just goes because he's got to be somewhere. He's supposed to. You know? so, okay, so what would have happened though? Just to kind of riff on this idea, if he had had not done any of this, like if he has just said, "Oh, I'm putting on the bandages and I'm not going to do that anymore." Yeah, what would have happened? I don't know. The world yeah. would have eaten itself. Yeah, like it just well, and that's why I like a movie like this because it makes you think. And yeah. the detail geek in me just totally gets off on thinking about the what ifs, you know. And the 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 story film lover in me is just like, oh man, that that, that was just well done. And do all the Hectors go away? I think oh, I gotta rewatch. It. I think they all did <laughs> mm-hmm. because all the loops were closed. But my question then is, at the very end of the movie. Do they go back to the science dude and be like, dude, yeah. what the hell? Yeah, exactly. um, we've got a dead woman on our lawn now. Yeah, and, and you're going to have to help us explain this. Yeah, my face is beaten up. I've had a very bad day, all because you, and I'm going to tell your boss. Yeah. You know? But I also love the bookending nature of it because we start with this dude sitting in his backyard having an awesome day. Yeah. Well, you know, a nice, relaxing afternoon. He doesn't know it to be the greatest day of his life, but. He's he's not working, right? He's in he's lounging in his chair in his backyard. He's where he wants to be. And at the end of the movie, he takes his wife out of the house and they just sit in the backyard at night. And she's looking at him like, "What the fuck is going on?" And he could not begin to explain. (laughs) He just kind of he just like sets out out of the chairs or that table that they were building, and they're just like, "Take my word for it. We're just gonna sit here." And it's going to be okay. And he's like, he traumatized and victimized Absolutely. himself. <laughs> you know, he, he, didn't, he did things he didn't even know he was capable of a few short hours ago, or however many hours it is in his from his perspective. Um, but I also like that it was, um, I'm a huge fan of realistic dialogue, and, and really, like, when... Um, when real things don't feel so forced, that whole thing with them building a table and will it go through the door? And if right. it doesn't go through the door, then she'll go get the groceries. And I was just like, you know, that's just that's just neat. I mean, yeah. they could have just said, oh, I'm gonna go get groceries, but they give you these these little these real bits 
of 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 um, human mo- yeah interaction and human moments that I, it just I was so sold on the whole thing and just and like the acting is great the storytelling is great it makes you wonder I mean please I hope people you know have watched this before they get the yeah. spoilers but it just it makes you think the whole time and that for me is is a, is the hallmark of a fantastic movie and a team of you know the the people who are putting who are behind all of it you know as opposed to you know say you know some of the other movies we've talked about that aren't you know that that quality yeah this this really shone for me the screenplay is pretty airtight i think again somebody a smarter person than i might be able to poke holes in it but i i never had a problem with it and i love this thing this is usually when i know i'm watching great sci-fi it's anticipating me yeah i'm asking myself a question right around the time the movie's starting to answer it right well and that that twist too like so it still kept you on your toes because you'd been as a viewer you've been exposed to a few of these loops you think you know what's going to happen but then with the 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 swap of the wife and the girl with the roof and the things you're like i didn't see that coming you know so it still keeps you on your toes even though you think oh as a viewer i'm so smart i know exactly what's going to happen because we're looping the same kind of events from different perspectives it still keeps you it still gives you new bits of information along the way. I think so far though I would argue Hector is the most victorious of our time travelers so far both yeah, oh the, yeah both in the quality of the movie and the fact that he lived through yeah it. he doesn't off himself <laughs> <laughs> your classmate Taylor Fisher was murdered in her bedroom this morning I was just attacked sure you were honey Are you guys accusing me of something? There's a killer in Grizzly Lake who is affiliated with people at my school. Detention is in the library. It goes from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. That's right through prom. It can't be any of us. We're not anguished enough. Our generation has had no major struggles. What about 9-11? Afghanistan. Katrina. Heath Ledger. What? Too, Too soon. This attacker you're describing, Ms. Jones? Sounds just like that horror film. Cinderella. Scream. It's not the end of the world. It's just high school. So now we're going to arrive at the high school set comedy, time travel, sci-fi, horror extravaganza. So many things. Uh, Detention. Okay, so detention for me is kind of like that thing where it's really long and boring and seems like a punishment. I thought the title was very fitting. I hope I'm not giving too much away of what I felt about this movie, but... uh, Oh, so, so bad. Yeah, I just, I don't even know what the movie was about. Like, one of the first things that I, I put down was, here, I'll show you. Whoa, so bad, even before I saw Dane Cook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my opener on this. I think that I know I'm in a little bit of trouble where the star power of the movie is Dane Cook. Like, the people who made this well, that, movie that, um... thought they had a real... <sighs> Hunger Games kid was in there. The yeah, Josh guy. Hutcherson yeah, is the main yeah. character. Clapton. Uh, I don't. I, I, I'm neither here nor there on Dane Cook. I haven't really seen his stand-up. Yeah. I just know he's got a reputation of being a little bit difficult and oh, stealing really? jokes and whatever. Um, but I watched a documentary in the making of this movie, which is Ooh. actually longer than the movie itself. <laughs> oh my so god! Congratulations to me. And uh, to have a little doubt that everybody involved in making this movie, we're pretty sure they were making an amazing fucking movie. Oh, it, now, <laughs> they, I think they thought they had like a fantastic blockbuster. They, I feel like they thought they were so proud of themselves for all their catchy, clever things they did. Now, 
I'm a little, I'm kind of comforted that you weren't, I, I think that you disliked it more than I did, but I was a little bit worried that this was my, going to be my curmudgeon review, where I was like, this movie's not for me, this movie is for teenagers, and a teenager would explain to this 40-year-old man why this was oh, funny. See that, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Right? I've got a thing in here saying, I am not the demographic for this film, I just did not feel related to any but, part of it. I throw in a butt here. The, one of the movies that they're borrowing from more than a little bit, The Breakfast Club, yeah. was made in 1986 mm -hmm. and is as good today as it was in 1986. I don't think that detention is going to age well at all. I think it's one of these movies that's so loud, so loud, so hip, and so now that it will be forgotten. Did you think it was hip? Like uh, maybe I see, this is where I felt out of. I think yeah, I think it was felt really full of itself and pretty smug, thinking. Oh wow, yeah, we had all these cool things and we these self-referential things of we are referencing ourselves as we are a movie, you know, and we're doing these um, you know graphic overlays when we're you know like like Zombie Land and we're doing all this kind of '90s indie film dialogue, but it was so disjointed and there's so many ideas in it. It just really needed 30% of the, um, the what they thought was cool taken out so a person could experience what they were trying to tell and i still don't know what that was i think what they were trying to do was just keep throwing shit at you just like they're trying to keep you either laughing or shocked or or something they they don't want to lose you at any time and they're just inundating you with stuff yeah some of it made me laugh i'm not gonna lie some of it didn't i'm uncomfortable with this whole idea of 90s nostalgia which this movie sort of circles around quite heavily. They're always See, and that's why I thought it was maybe like, if we're doing 90s nostalgia, maybe the target was intended to be people who were teens in the 90s. In which case, they missed the ball. Yeah, and I really think they did, because then I was like, well, maybe they're trying to have this be a teen movie, because it's there's all teens in it, but is it a remake of a of you know one of those... What's that? There's all those 90s movies where they're at a house party and they all talk about their lives and what's going to happen. And no, you kind of care. The 90s needs their own dazed and confused. And that <sighs> movie will happen at some point. But this was not that movie. No. <laughs> right? And it's interesting because there's a slasher movie component to it. There's a time travel component yeah. to it. That doesn't even happen until I, 47 minutes into the film, they get into the detention room. And I was like, okay, finally. This is why the movie's <laughs> called Detention. Okay, maybe it, I get it. No, no, I did not get it. You can tell it's directed by a person whose background is in music videos mm -hmm. because it's obsessed with music and it's obsessed with hypercutting. It's certainly something that serves to the YouTube culture. Well, I, I thought that if they would have spent as much time on the rest of the story as I did in the opening, the, like the credit sequence, like the opening right. titles, they probably would have had a way better movie on their hands. I, I think they were so focused on being cool that everything else was sacrificed at the, at the sake of it. Like they had these ideas about Cinderella and a bear and time travel and the detention and the, this jock who's really a fly or something. Yep. But all these different, I was just like, okay, hey, well just give me one bit of a thread that continues through that I can actually be like, I see where you're going. I forgot that Hunger Games kid was even in the movie because he disappeared for about half an hour of it and I didn't care why or know why. Well, I think... Honestly, he's probably the most experienced actor in the movie, and he, he gives probably one of the most laziest performances <laughs> of the movie. Clapton's just quietly cool, and everybody likes him. He doesn't really have a lot of beef. He seems to have read the screenplay and knows that it's all going to work out okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't believe any of the states. Well, I thought Who all I the feel... people were just horribly unlikable. I felt bad. I'm going to look up her name here because I'm like that. I want to say Shanley Caslow, is that her name? The uh, the lead Riley? actress? Yeah. She plays Riley. 
this girl who's desperately in love with Clapton because she's a fucking idiot. And, uh... <laughs> oh, she's a moron. But the series of scenes that she is presented with where she's constantly humiliating herself, mm-hmm. trying to be, uh, you know, give a pretentious speech about vegetarianism or doing a weird dance piece or getting drunk at a party. The and, french fry ketchup on her hand yeah. from the bed sheets. Like, what? Yeah. What? Like... It was scene after scene of humiliation for this girl. And again, I have to believe while she's making the movie, it's all going to be worth it. Yeah. It's all going to be worth it, this shame and depravity. Nope. You know what? And that's where I, I didn't think the acting she's was fine. particularly she's bad. She yeah. seemed like, I think she was just given, uh, in my opinion, a real shitty script, uh, you know, and a disjointed direction of the whole thing. Her performance was okay. You yeah. know, it, it, uh, I don't think it was an Oscar worthy, but, you know, she did all right. I, I believe that she... She was who she was saying she was being. She didn't. I didn't catch her acting or doing any, you know, bad things. But all of these people in this whole thing. Number one case, she's suicidal, and so she just she tries to kill herself. But then this kind of scream killer comes in and is going to kill her, kill the person who's suicidal, and can't even kill her while she's hanging from a thing. And then they get caught in a swing. And you're like. There's no redeeming qualities in any of these human beings. Like, if Dane Cook dies, nobody even bats an eye. They've got two minutes to save the world. There's no anticipation or I didn't care if anybody died, and I didn't care when suddenly people turned out to live, right? You didn't think. But again, I think I'm less severe than you. I think it's a C minus movie that thinks it's an A plus movie. And my problem with it is more that it thinks it's an A plus movie than that it's a C minus movie. I agree with that. Yeah, I think they're pretty smug with themselves. And honestly, if it hadn't have been for, for this podcast, I would have stopped it ages ago oh, and it's sorry, no no it's okay that's, that's what it is it gives us lots to talk about but up until recently um i, I had never hated a movie this this badly wow. yeah like Sweet. it's uh, my worst movie of all time that i'd ever hated for some reason i had to watch was this really really bad uh betty davis movie called burnt offerings okay. years ago and I think it was because we rented it on tape and we had to watch it because we were you just... paid money for yeah, it. Yeah, we paid it was we watched it. And it's, we had to suffer through the whole thing. I was like, okay, nothing could ever be this bad. This was because I had to watch actively. I couldn't just have it on in the background. I had to, like... It was like I was trapped in, like, you know, what's his name from Clockwork Orange with the thing? Right. Like, I couldn't get away from it. And even I was trying to pay attention and trying to get some kind of sustenance of this from the storytelling. Yeah. I felt so abused. For me, like, it took the Family Guy approach, I guess, where we're going to just throw as many jokes at you as possible. Maybe one in six of them is actually a decent joke, but there's another one coming right yeah, at yeah. you. And so it kept my attention. I wasn't bored by it. So I guess we differ in that respect. But for me, I think that, like, have you seen uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? No. Okay. Uh, I reviewed it on the podcast. I think it's an amazing movie. Okay. This movie reminds me is like it'd be the kid brother to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Like it knows that it has this older brother that's way better at doing what it's trying to do and that's already succeeded and way better than it could have possibly dreamt of. Yeah, but and that's why it's I felt coming into this with something to prove and an attitude. Right? I, I think that it just it cobbled together a bunch of everybody it was like this cannibalistic movie that kind of, you know, took bits of everybody else's invention for the the typography from Zombieland and the Breakfast Club vibe and Scream and it was so referential of everything else that there wasn't anything original in it and I was kind of like where is the thing that I'm going to see something where I'm like that's really cool and sure there was the things about the guy as a fly and the thing with the bear and what but I was just there was nothing that kept my interest enough or was inventive enough for me to go hey 
kudos to you. Well, that was pretty neat. This is kind of the frightening place we're arriving at culturally because, like, one of the most celebrated filmmakers of our generation is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. And he's arguably a remix artist, right? That's a good point. Like, I love Tarantino. He, I love Tarantino most of the time, too. But, like, he just takes ideas he likes and reforms them into his own movies. And that's the same thing that this movie is doing, just in a much more MTV obnoxious way. I'll totally give you that. Um, I, I think the difference here, though, is that there, Tarantino will be inspired, and he'll he'll rip off you know shots and things, whatever. But he writes all that dialogue himself. He comes out and he engages people. This was as if someone had, had done a like a, a two hour you know bunch of quick edits of other people's work, and it was so disjointed. I didn't feel that it was cohesive enough of a thing on its own so i don't really knew what know what it stood for the whole time you can borrow all you want i mean if you're gonna steal steal from the best as, as the saying goes but you got to put your own little spin on it and i think that the personal spin might be the thing that was missing yeah. i think that they figured they had a lot of jokes they had a lot of style and they have a lot of style like every single like cutaway is not used we don't just cut to the next scene there'll be some crazy zip pan or some zoom or oh, some like visually Oh, it, like the the lighting, the the sets, the costuming, the the everything, the editing, the filming, all it, like it looks like a music video. It's it's very polished, and and people knew what they were doing when yeah. they did that, which surprises me then that the storytelling was just yeah. garbage in my mind. And that's where I'm at. I think we're on the same page. I think <laughs> that you disliked it a lot more than I did. I just thought it, like I said, C minus, but F F my a G. <laughs> I would give it a G. Can you give it a G? Um, so a split vote, I guess, on detention. <laughs> Aaron, I can imagine no way in which this thing would be considered anywhere remotely close to saying. Why not the lottery? You have a margin account, right? For now, though, if you wanted to, you can just tell her you had a good day in the market. You don't understand. No. You don't understand the questions that come with that, okay? Hey, hey. Oh, come here for a second. What's on your hand? You bleeding? Did you see that? I swear that was him. What the hell is he doing? Just sitting outside my house at 2 in the morning. There's no way I would tell anyone about this. No way. Sometimes we do things, you know, we don't know how we got no, to that. No, I can't. Can't what? I can't think of any reason why I would. There was value in the thing, clearly. That they were certain of. So, uh, this filmmaker, Shane Carruth, uh, made a big splash in the independent film circles in 2004 with this movie, Primer. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's followed it up a few years later with this movie, Upstream Color. Oh, I haven't seen that. Which uh, apparently have confounded people. People just don't know what to make of it. Some people like it, some people hate it, but it seems to be one of these movies that just hurts your brain. Oh, wow. And you know what? After watching Primer, I believe it. The, like, this guy's <laughs> wicked. Well, he, he wrote and directed and starred in this movie, right? He's the, he, he's the dark-haired guy. Yeah. He, yeah. He's an, and uh, it's high-concept sci-fi made for no money. Yep. This is a micro-budget. Like seven grand film. or something yeah. like that. Uh, it's a series of conversations about time travel. If you boil it down to its bare essences, that's what it is. These two guys tell you the story through their conversations. 
There's brilliantly written conversations. Absolutely. Like just juicy, just fantastic dialogue. And I can totally make a meal out of a movie like this. But I understand the wrong personality type would, would step into this and it would put them to sleep. I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that I understood all of this movie. But I am going to sit here and tell you that I liked it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm scared to watch Upstream Color because of the reaction. Oh, no. I just I really want <laughs> Upstream Color. I'm totally going to look that yeah. up. Uh, but, like, <laughs> it's over my head. And yet I still like it. Uh, it's it was like the first time I tried to read uh, the A Brief History of Time by Stephen oh Hawking. Yeah, like, I've never like, even tried. I'm, I'm an English major and uh, English and theater arts, right? So this is just not my bag. But this is supposed to be something that's readable that a layman can maybe make something out of. And I read the book, but it was fucking gibberish <laughs> to me, right? I'm not going to say that this movie was gibberish to me because it wasn't. I understood the basic setup and sort of the friendship that sort of develops this technology and how that technology kind of destroys the friendship mm -hmm. and the ramifications of a major... Yeah, like, uh, I think we should preface, like, you do not need a PhD to watch this movie, you know? You don't, it, <laughs> but it, it, it might It help. makes you think, like, there's, there, there are some kind of, you know, mental, uh, you know, exercises that you, your brain is going to be thinking, you know? But for me, I, I get off on that. Like, that is just, I love this movie for that because I was thinking then of the paradoxes and how a person could do this and how would we achieve this and, and what, like, as we learned that this machine was a, a time travel device even the, the little you know um, an accidental time yeah, travel like device didn't which, even which the, makes it so cool and it was so smart just because like the way that they find out is because this mold is growing at a rate that's exponentially never been seen before so they know that time is accelerated in this small space and uh, and they're having this amazing dialogue too about like, that's revealing about their characters and their their desires and their wants and their motivations. Like this this movie for me was uh, I, it's, I've always been a fan of it. I first watched it oh, probably like ten years ago. I, I think it was this is two thousand four, so I think it's same year as Butterfly Effect. Um, so apparently, time travel was it was Vogue. Was, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. Vogue. It's cool. Um, but I loved this movie back then, and I've probably seen it. Oh, I don't know, like a good three or four times since. It's one of those ones that I kind of come back to, you know. Yeah. And and I just loved the hell out of this thing. It's a clinic in low budget filmmaking too, and that like it's well made, it's well shot, but mm -hmm. you, they don't have a ton of money. Clearly, they no. Don't have they're a ton filming of money. at gas stations. They're filming at parks. They're filming in storage lockers. There's no big CGI yeah. happening here whatsoever. So in that case, largely what you got is your screenplay. Yeah. And that's, you know, like I said, I think some of it was over my head, but enough of it wasn't that I was with it. I didn't understand the techno jargon. In the same way in a lot of episodes of Star Trek, when yep. they say they need to fix the blah, blah, blah in order to save the blah, 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 it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, you just insert techno I trust yeah. that they know what they're talking about. And I understand the conflict that's building between them. Because that's almost as interesting in another way about the movie. Like, the time travel would be enough. But, again, where do you start with time travel, right? One day, this guy gets off work, and his best friend of many years has to have this conversation with him. And you can tell right away that this is a serious conversation <laughs> yeah. they're going to have. It would be like uh, you had an atheist friend, and you just met God, and you were going to go tell your friend that God exists, and I'm going to introduce okay. you to him. I'm it, not crazy, but just <laughs> listen to me, and you're going to be freaked out, but yeah. just you just hang on. Let these with dominoes me. fall. Yeah. Trust me, because yeah. we've been friends for this long, yeah. to let these dominoes fall. And he does. And the friendship still gets broken. See, and that's uh, the one of the reasons that I love this film so much is that it, it, it for me, is everything that a good 
indie film is, is that they have to rely on story. And so many of the, the big budget blockbuster Hollywood things, um, they, 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 they fall apart. They had a good idea, but it wasn't fully materialized. They got some money behind it, and then they threw it all into CGI, and okay, visually it was pretty neat, but at the end of the day, who cares? I, I, don't, I don't even remember what it was anymore a day or two later. Yeah. This movie just gets, it plants a seed in you, and just makes you think, and those little tendrils of thought go through your brain because it is 100% story-driven. You can't rely on CGI. You can just rely on good acting and good storytelling, and you learn about the character motivation you 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 find out you start questioning you know um, what would a person do if you could just like punch your boss in the face and have no repercussions what if you could go back in time and uh, uh, how does that work go back in time and have like the winning stocks you know that we're gonna make it big that day would you do it you know what if there were no repercussions there's so many questions thought-provoking human questions that people think about but don't admit to this amount of power that they have stumbled upon and how can it not corrupt them yeah. And as they say in one of their final conversations, look, at the end of the day, either of us can do whatever we want. I can't stop you. <laughs> well, and it destroys their friendship. Yeah. You know, like they, they were so tight, so close. And and just to see the, the it almost becomes a drug. Yeah. You know, like this this time travel, this it becomes this this thrill. And they're putting themselves through this this kind of torture when they go into this box and it's physically painful. But the the thrill and the exhilaration that they get from they almost feel godlike right because they've just been yeah they've been these they're not peons they're kind of middle executive management types that are you know you know working in a tower doing big business but you can tell that they're they're not really loving their lives and now they get this power right where where they can they can manipulate the people around them to if you just it's like watching if you were able to watch a video a security tape over and over and over again you'd know exactly when the car pulls up when the person does this when someone drops the this and talks the ground to the person. Day effect. Yeah. you've lived the day so many times so. and he does this and he starts manipulating things where he can have someone come in with a shotgun and try to hurt people and he can you know win massive fortunes and it's it, it destroys him it just takes away strips him of all of his humanity yeah. you know because he feels like he's above it all and if it goes wrong today, it can be fixed. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. As long as the machine's running, you can get back in. And that's the great thing about it being a couple of guys in a garage, and the great just by fate, the fact that it was a low-budget movie, right? Like these guys made this with wires and and and, and boxes in their garage. Yeah, and they unlocked a very significant key to fucking universe and of course it destroys them of course it does see and it, I, it, it usually it's some like scientific research is going on from the government or some military base that's cracked the code on some stargate right yeah these are a couple of dudes in a garage who have no way of dealing with this yeah and uh, again i almost think that if they opened up a literal stargate with like lights firing every way it would become distracting well and I the think lo-fi it... presentation actually feeds the drama absolutely it does like if this movie were made today with big hollywood bucks uh for some reason they'd all have ripped abs and be naked when they had to get into the machine they would probably do it to find some you know beautiful woman and have some explicit sex scene with her so they could win her and then they'd probably fight over her and it would be her that would be the rift and it would all be sex and violence driven right to be honest i was waiting for it to come down to a fight over a girl because doesn't that usually end up what it is money or a girl right and this takes that takes a higher road you know and it says well no we're not i mean there's very base instincts at play here yeah. you know this guy wants to be uh 
very he wants to be the puppet master, right? And he wants to manipulate everything and become a kind of supreme being with his device. But it's not just about you know sex and boobs and guns. Like I don't even know if there is a gun in this movie anywhere. You know, it's it's just so well written, and it's not when so highbrow that, that it's uh, that it's inaccessible. When I said at the beginning of the movie that this is a series of conversations about time travel, I was not being glib. <laughs> like, the movie really is told by a series. It could be a stage play. It could very oh, easily could totally be a stage, stage play, play, yeah. A pretty interesting one, I think. Uh, and, you know, again, it's it stands strongly. Uh, strong ideas, reasonably well acted by an inexperienced cast. The lo-fi presentation, like, helps the lo-fi feel, like, of the story that they're telling. Like... Tinker in your garage. Be a hobbyist because you might be the guy that figures this shit out, but there might be a price to being the guy who figures that shit out. And the thing that I liked about this movie, again, getting back to the dialogue, is that you get that kind of 90s indie film long exposition, but it's it's just rich. It's dripping with intent and with subtext, right? Whereas with uh, a movie like Detention, it tries to do that, but there's no hidden meaning in what they're saying. They're just blathering on, at least in my mind, I didn't care. Whereas this one, there, it was just, it was so full of, of so um, many uh, things that made that were thought-provoking. Primer does not spoon-feed you. <laughs> it does not. Detention <laughs> no. spoon-feeds you. Primer does not. I think Detention more accurately kind of feeds you with a slingshot. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I completely agree. Uh, 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 primer is a meal. And like I said, uh, it kind of reminds me recently, my buddy Lee and I reviewed a movie called Waking Life, which I really, really love as well. Is that the Keanu Reeves? Richard Linklater. It's animated. It's yeah, sort of yeah. They overlaid of, all the cells with yeah, animation. Yeah. Philosophical conversations and stuff like that. And it's like, I love that movie. But I understand that not everybody will mm -hmm. love this movie. And that's sort of how I feel about Primer. I love it. But I don't think it's a movie for everyone. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So um, if it sounds like it's something that'd be interesting to you, then by all means. But otherwise, I'd say buyer beware. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not that it's too smart. It's just in a it, it, compared with movies like Detention and, and like Time Bandits and like Looper, this is a different environment entirely. I I, I think that for uh, uh, Primer, you get out of it exactly what you put into it. Yeah. So if you are putting it on while you're cooking and the kids no. are yelling or you're on your phone checking your Facebook, you're not going to get anything out of it because no. there's no explosions to go. Oh wow, that was kind of neat. This is dialogue story driven, no budget, and so you you have to actively watch the movie. Just keep the one screen on don't multitask with your laptop and your your phone and and other things all at the same time this is a, a full engagement and you'll i think most people if they give it that they will um they will reap the rewards from it that. is worth your time absolutely remember my voice i do trailers all kinds of trailers 23 take two one day they'll put me in a film a proper full-length job until then i'm just stuck with this sort of stuff Go and see this. Don't miss that. The most terrifying thing you ever saw is coming to babysit for you tonight. All right, cut it there. Look, just read what's on the script, will you? What? The script. Other way up. Ah. <clears throat> Ready? Yes, yes. You flock to see brief encounters for the special... Close! Huh? Close Encounters. Close Encounters, the film. Oh, I never saw it. Well, forget that film. We're on about our film. Time Bandits. The word. Time Bandits, the one you are supposed to be promoting. Remember? <coughs> you flock to see Close Encounters for the special effects. 
You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You went... Now what? What's page two, man? It's on the page one. See? Time bandits can offer you much, much more. It's not the special effects or flying men or droids which makes Time Bandits a unique cinematic. Cinematic! You know, pertaining to the cinema. Cinematic experience, it's the makeup. Yes, folks, you've never seen anything like it. Men made up to look like monsters. Monsters made up to look like men. Look alike men made up to look different. Different men made up to look alike. No expense has been paired, spared on the pan stick, the pan stick. No expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man. Just a minute, just a minute. What about the plot? The what? The plot. What the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? You're sitting there telling millions of people to go and see a film you haven't even seen? Well, I can't see every film I do now, can I? Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Look, give me that. What are you doing? Taking over. You're out. O-U-T. Finished. Kaput. Finito. What about the trailer? I'll do it. Time Bandits is an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest. <laughs> honest. Honest. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> So I've gone on record in the past on the podcast as Terry Gilliam's one of my favorite filmmakers. I reviewed his Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I reviewed his 12 Monkeys. They both ranked very high on the list. We're going to talk about Time Bandits. Yep. It's going to rank fairly high on the list. So I, I just, full disclosure, I'm a fan of Terry Gilliam. That said, I'm not saying he's never even made a bad movie. I'm just saying... Yeah, you like what you like. I, 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 bring, I bring the love with this movie. Um... There's so much that I love about this movie because uh, I'm an 80s guy. I've been spending a lot of time in the 80s with the podcast lately. Such a specifically odd, absolutely mental decade. Um, Terry Gilliam's trying to get this movie called Brazil made, and he's having a hard time getting anyone to bite because it's absolutely brutal, challenging sci-fi. So he's got to prove himself a little bit beforehand. So he comes up with this family-friendly, I say in the air quotes, yeah, huge kids air movie quotes. called Time Bandits. This was sold and is considered a children's movie. <laughs> and so weird. It would never get made this way today as a kid's film. It would never get made, period. Yeah. If not for Terry Gilliam, and probably not today. But like, it's the, what you just said is part of the reason that I love Time Bandits, because it is absolutely off its rocker. Like, when did you first see it? How old were you? I would you probably be the age the kid was, seven or eight yeah, years I mean, old. So what, you're 40? I'm 40. Yeah, yeah I'm 40 as well. Yeah. So or No, oh, got it. I'm 41. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I saw it when I was a kid as well. So it's, so it's got a bit of nostalgia for me, big time. And the thing is, is like uh, I remember being enthralled by it, but I don't particularly remember being scared by it. I was a little bit upset when it looks like one of the one of the little guys gets squished yep. later in the movie. But uh, generally, I think you tend to roll with the punches when you're a kid in a way that you don't as an adult, unless mm -hmm. you're Terry Gilliam. I think that this weird dream logic of the film and the sort of chaos of the structure 
is all Terry Gilliam, and Larry is 100% on board. Our main character, this this charming British boy, doesn't get a lot of attention from his parents. No, yeah, And he's none. having uh, strange, strange sounds and encounters happening in his room at night. Some little, little men sneaking around and suddenly a knight breaking through the wall. And he gets caught up with these little <laughs> time bandits who have stolen a map, which is basically a time machine, from God. And are now jumping from time to time, stealing presents. Treasure, uh, stealing treasure while God himself pursues them. <laughs> well, God or the evil genius, like the evil bad devil. There is right? the evil bad devil guy who's trying to get his hand on the on the watch, but the big glowing orb face oh, that's, that's chasing God him, guy, right. that is God. <laughs> God has had his creation stolen by these guys. And there's something so deliciously mad about these guys. These little, these little, they're all uh, dwarves or midgets or whatever the polite term. I looked up, the, I wasn't sure what to call them because I thought I was going to be a jerk. They say that like little people's little people's okay, okay. dwarves okay. Little people okay. seem somehow condescending. Because there's like somehow. a little people society or something. Okay. But anyway, I heard the, the, my my very brief Google search. We'll call okay. them sausage fingers. No. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no. Uh, there's a... Terry Gilliam works a lot with little people, yeah. and this is no exception. And a lot of them were in Star Wars, apparently. Yeah, yeah there's uh, Kenny Baker, um, and there's a few of the other ones. They're, they're all Ewoks. If you're a, a Willow fan, you'll recognize them from Willow yeah. as well. Um, but he said in the in the documentary on the disc, it's that he, he liked the idea of them being on the same level as this kid. Mm -hmm. Because I think, for me, that's really what it comes to be about. This is another one of the many great quote children movies that are more for adults than kids yep. that are about the loss of innocence, right? The importance of imagination and how you struggle to hold on to it as a child, but how it inevitably must slip, right? Uh, these guys listen to him. When he has a plan, they take him seriously. Mm -hmm. When he meets Sean Connery, this great valiant knight who slays the Minotaur, he listens to him. He respects the kid, and he wants to adopt the kid. Everybody that he encounters in his series of adventures, Napoleon, <laughs> played hilariously by Ian Holm, they all seem to value his input. Well, and those are some of the best children's films, generally, is when the children are the protagonists, and either amongst themselves or through the, by us as the viewers, they are taken seriously, yeah. you know? So generally, either adults are stupid and don't understand, and the kids are the only ones who know what's going on, yeah. or like in a thing like Goonies, they all have these bonding moments, and they do these very kind of, they go through tough situations together, but none of them are bawling or being babies or what an adult thinks of a child. They are their own heroes, and I think that it really succeeds on that level of being a classic children's vibe yeah. in that respect, you know? But in just the little boy mentality, it would be cool to be a, a thief. It would be cool to be yeah. Robin Hood. No, it would be cooler to be a knight. No, it would be better to do the right thing. Maybe we should fight a dark overlord, right? A lot of Alice in Wonderland stuff here, right? Well, and I think like just as far as the, the this kid's the the character, his life is going like his parents are not listening to him at all. No. He's got nothing but escape to to you know. So he's got to kind of invent you know whatever this would be, and like his it's and there's so much um, kind of subtext I thought on consumerism and and you know where what are the real values and the real things that we want to um, uh, you know what what do we want to value? The, the parents were valuing like products and 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 cooking equipment and stuff which kind of bites him in the ass at the end of the, the film they don't even look at the, their son no. in the opening scenes they send him to bed and talk to him several times without acknowledging his existence yeah. really it's interesting uh, I love Terry Gilliam because I think the man himself is a little bit crazy 
<laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think? But he brings that craziness to the movies in a in a sort of focused way. Because the story is mad. It's got dream logic. It's got nightmare imagery that you dream logic think... is very accurate. Yeah. yeah, it's got nightmare imagery that you wouldn't think a kid can handle. But in a way, the kids handle probably better than the adults do now. Mm-hmm. It's probably a more frightening film to me at forty than it was when I was eight. Oh, see, when I was young, um, I I remember just being scared of this movie because I remember liking most of it, um, and I honestly hadn't seen it uh, probably in a good twenty years. You know, so I think I've only seen it three times now. Um, but I just remember the ending where his parents die, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, whoa! Well, and it just left me with such a horrible, uh, um, <laughs> uh, like as a kid, as a kid, as an adult, I'm kind of like, whatever. It's a mad way to end a kid's movie. Well, right? I heard that he couldn't get Gilliam couldn't get approval on that cut, or no, even to shoot it, yeah. until someone said uh, that they thought a kid said that they thought it was cool, or yeah. they shot it and then a screening and a kid said it was awesome, mm-hmm. and they were able to keep it. He fought well, for that. He'd, I heard an interview say, too, that he doesn't believe in test screenings, but they're forced on him, but in a way that helped his ending. Because a lot of people who hated Time Bandits said, probably in a way to be shitty, that their favorite part of the movie was the end. Oh, no. Right? That, that was my but, least favorite part of the, the movie. End of, well, here's my thing. Like, uh, If this is a journey about this boy finding his power and his imagination, uh, he's running the engine himself. His parents weren't providing that. He's been given the power to do it himself. So his kid, his parents <laughs> touched the evil rock and explode. Yeah. But I think we're supposed to be left with, he's fine. He doesn't need his parents. Look at what he's overcome to get here, right? See, and I but remember- as a kid, it's like <laughs> trauma. Total trauma. But uh, you also have to remember, this is written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin, two of the members of Monty yeah. Python's Flying Circus. And they deal in absurdity. And they... The fact that the movie pans out and like it, it goes this huge crane shot and then it starts lifting up from the sky and you have this realization that the credits are about to roll and that that's seriously how they're going to see. End and this that movie. is what traumatized the crap out of me when I was a kid because so right up until like I mean we can get back to the earlier parts of the movie but that ending he's they've just all had this thing and we think some of them are dead and um, <laughs> no it's not going to it be that way we think everything's okay the the little people just kind of say later kid and they just disappear really there's they're no the there's no kind of Wizard of Oz I'll always love you you're my friend forever it's been a great adventure they're just gone he wakes up his house is on fire his then his parent sean connery comes out of nowhere again you're like how is he a fireman is he real what's happening um then his parents are dead the end what these were friends that you went on an adventure with they didn't even give a crap to say goodbye to you your parents are dead little colin when he was watching this me i thought oh traumatized like Oh my God! He has no house. All of his possessions are gone. And no parents. The 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 friend that was his that is now a fireman just kind of tips his hat and goes off. So yeah. he is not a person in the world now right. to look after him. There's God isn't even around anymore. It's totally godless. He's back to the quote real world. But all of the stuff that exists in his dream, not in the way they exist in his dream, but they do exist in the real world. They have reflections in the real world. There's evil in his dream. There's evil in the real world. Yeah. There's heroes in his dream. There's heroes in the real world. I think this is Alice in Wonderland. I think this is all a marvelous dream that he he had that taught him a lesson. But it's weird that it doesn't just wake with end with him waking up, but it ends with him waking up and being instantly orphaned. Which Oh, kids movie. Terry Gilliam ends where most Disney movies start. 
Right? How many Disney movies start with a little kid being yeah, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. yeah, and then they find their little happy troop, and they all have a new and family. No, that's not how Terry Gilliam does business. Uh, I think it goes into the family tree of a lot of these fantasy movies that might be more valuable for adults than for kids, that were maybe mm-hmm. just mistakenly, you know, suggested towards kids. I'm talking about movies like Where the Wild Things Are. To a point, even movies like Labyrinth. There's a lot of themes in Labyrinth yeah, that I absolutely. think go right over my kids' heads when they watch it. But I mean, even like the Pixar movies and stuff. Now that they'll they'll throw in stuff for the adults. They'll mm-hmm. you know cater to the children, but they try to make it accessible to everyone. I don't, I'm not saying that this movie did that, yeah. but there was definitely an adult slant to the things that were happening. You know, like the, the trauma and all these things, and the, and the like. There's those skull riders and yeah. all this stuff, and and it's it's quite frightening the game show where you're going to be like killing people you love for yeah. money like <laughs> that's not a whole comment on consumerism like i mean i don't know what is yeah um yeah that's jim broadbent actually. a very young jim broadbent very, very, yeah jim broadbent being the game show host there's so Ian many Holm people as an absolutely hysterical uh napoleon, napoleon. Uh, John Cleese as a seemingly polite but kind of a dick Robin and Hood. he had top billing like like you press play on that movie and it's like John Cleese, John Cleese top billing for five minutes. yeah for, like that's it um, Catherine Hellman Sean Connery Ian Holm Jim Broadbent like actually I don't even know if he got billing no Jim Broadbent I don't not think a was even back a name then. at all but all these people and you're like I, I didn't even remember that there were that many people yeah. in this in this flick right um, but yeah just like a good a good romp and really not too much to do about time travel like they. Could could have I thought as far as like if time travel were the, the thing that this movie was essentially about which it absolutely isn't um they could have you know used the map to go back in time and save the day and had their friends not die yeah. or or gone back to you know help out each other instead they bring a bunch of uh, cowboys and and gladiators and so it's again, more of the adventure slant and the and the time travel is just kind of a MacGuffin it's just a plot but it's device. a little kid marshalling them too first he sends a wave of cowboys at him then he sends a wave of arrows yeah. then a wave of tanks or, and he's calling the shots the little kid gets to be in charge uh, David Warner plays the character of Evil. Oh, he was pretty he, good. Actually. He was delicious. I love his little sidekicks, one of which he turns into a dog and, and yeah. uh, just enjoying his, his role. My buddy Jeremy loves that guy. He's the king of exposition. I guarantee you, you've seen him in movies that you've forgotten. The Omen, the guy. I think, is the he's biggest in the one. Omen, yeah. yeah. But usually he's the guy who shows up, gives exposition, and is killed. So that's like, that's his job. My favorite scene of his in Time Bandits, where, and I can't even remember the exact lines, but it's something to the effect of, you know, well, what about this? And the, and one of his little minions says, you know, has his little line, he kills him. He's like, yeah, actually, you have a good point. Actually, that was a very good point. <laughs> After he kills him. But the great thing is, is this is one of the many ways that Terry Gilliam completely breaks the rules, but it is successful. How, in the end, are, are time bandits and this little boy successful against evil? How are they successful against evil? It's 100% deus ex machina. God shows up and saves the day. Yeah. That's exactly the thing that you don't do, right? Something active has to be done by our heroic character. This kid sends wave after wave after wave trying to stop that's evil, pointless. and he can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, and that's where I think I was a little bit 
um, like to rip it apart, you know, uh-huh, like be just sure. like not. I, I, don't get me wrong, I quite like this movie. Yeah. But uh, as far as like if we're if we're talking uh, time travel, you got a time travel map, man. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you can go back, you kid. If you were organizing the cowboys and the and the gladiators, just send one of yourselves back in and help your buddy from getting stranded, or don't get kidnapped in the first place by the bad guy, or do something, you know. <laughs> like, uh, but that's my adult brain talking to and as well. That's not this movie. This movie is keeping you mad. We're gonna have a few minutes. On the Titanic, and we're gonna have a few minutes, yeah. you know, in a totally different time period. Then we're gonna have a few minutes on a boat with an ogre, and then that boat's gonna turn into a hat. And we're gonna see Shelley Duvall and Michael Palin like be in different the same, time yeah, in different time frames, looking the same, being the same, <laughs> but they're not. So obviously, logic kind of takes a backseat, and you just kind of experience and you suspend your disbelief and you go with it. You There's know, madness and humor and absurdity, and that's all Monty Python. Yeah. and then you've got this crazy perspective given to you from Gilliam. And in the end, we've got this, I think, incredible feast called Time Bandits. But would I show it to my kids? No, not right now. How old would you say they'd have My boys are 12 and 9 right now, and I don't think they would get it. I really don't. I think this is a fantasy movie for... Which is funny, because we would have seen it when we were much younger. I know, but a lot of stuff. I showed my son Jurassic Park, and Owen made me promise that I never show him anything that scary again. (laughs) And he's 12, right? And when I was 12, I was watching some fucked up shit. See, and I (laughs) would, I don't know, I would take the tact if I had kids, which I don't, but I would be, okay, you're going to watch this and it's going to desensitize the crap out of you. I was watching and like we'll Evil Dead Two and the Hitcher at twelve. Like, yeah, I was oh, me watching too. like hard Jaws. Shit. I think I watched Exorcist when I was like thirteen or something. Uh, Jaws like was that. well established as one of my favorite movies by this point. My kids are different than me. Somehow that happened. But <laughs> uh, I think that the only problem with the movie that I have is that it's advertised as a kids' movie, and I think it's just a straight fantasy movie. And taken as a straight fantasy movie, it's wonderful. Taken as a kid's movie, it's too scary by half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I agree, because, I mean, it, it even got me when I was a kid. But, I mean, did it traumatize me? Did it ruin my life? No. Um, do I want a time machine to go back and unwatch that movie? No. no. I mean, it was it was a good movie. And it, I'm glad it, it exists. I'm glad yeah. it exists. And this handmade films, this was his own production company. They made this movie pretty cheaply, considering how ambitious it was. This was like his They were going to do a sequel, too, yeah. I heard. Well, it was a huge hit for him. Yeah. It was, But it was the thing that finally got... Brazil made. Nice, nice. So uh, he got to make the movie he wanted. In a way, this is the movie he had to make in order to prove he was the guy to make Brazil. Isn't that nuts? So, uh, big fan. Yeah, I, I I quite liked it as well. Uh, And I think it it holds up and it gives you that nostalgia factor to watch again, for sure. Okay, Colin, 
Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate this. I oh, anytime, man. Well. Super fun. Well. Uh, if you want to pick another list, I, I welcome you to do it. Um, thank you so much. We've just talked about six time trouble movies. Mm-hmm. What was your least favorite and why? Uh, well, I don't want this to come as a surprise to anybody, <laughs> but my least favorite, like if there, if I could rank this lower than six, I would. But it was detention. Right. I just, I, I just. Trying too it hard. Did not resonate with me at all. And you know what? There might be other people who are the demographic who it's their favorite movie, or whatever. And I appreciate that. It just was not a, a call-in movie. So that was that was my number six. Uh, my number five. Uh, my number five would be um, uh, Butterfly Effect. It's just it's okay. It's kind of vanilla, you know. Yeah. Nothing nothing too crazy. Um, my number uh, four would be uh, Time Bandits, uh, only because it kind of freaked me out a little bit okay. uh, when I was a kid. And if we'd review, reviewed this, like if it was a different time, if I'd only seen it for the first time when I was that kid, it might have a different review. But uh, yeah, it just it's, it's still a fantastic movie, but ranked among the others, I liked the other ones better for different reasons. Uh, my next one then would be uh, Looper. Um, it's, it's fun. It's not necessarily, you know... Um, better than time bandits all around but i just it was more uh new for me and a, a little bit more uh intriguing with uh, the telekinesis in it i didn't have the emotional scarring <laughs> of the Fair childhood enough. thing um then my uh my number uh two would be uh, time crimes i love that movie that was uh that was so good uh just a really fun time and then uh number one was primer okay well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll go through mine, but I think we might have just gone zero for six. What? So you might be getting a prize, my friend. What? I didn't think we were gonna um, line up um, uh, six but, for six. But, that's but for prove sure. me wrong here. I'll go okay. through. Okay, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in sixth place, I put the butterfly effect. Okay. Uh, I'm not angry at this movie. I don't hate it for existing, but I don't understand why there's sequels to it. I don't. There's sequels. Yeah, there's two sequels to it. Oh my god. For some reason, uh, and uh, I cared so little about this movie. I've reviewed sequels to movies like Starship Troopers and Tremors and stuff like that. I am not going to get around to the sequels of the Butterfly. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I agree. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do it. There's, I got to get through the Children of the Corn movies first. Detention you know? was so much worse, though. <laughs> so much worse. Well, it's, I put it in fifth place. Okay. Is where I put Detention. And uh, it's trying. And I don't think that the people making it are untalented. It's just there's something desperate about the movie to me. I completely agree. Yeah, the the fact that it's just so desperate to please is weirdly off-putting. Yeah. But I guess I agree with you, say, if, if you're somebody who thinks Dane Cook is a superstar, and if you think that, you know, glib, clever references to 90s things like my so-called life, you know, are, are hilarious, then maybe this is just the movie for you. Yeah. Um, it is definitely one of those movies where everything was on the table. Like I said, it's a slasher everything, movie, a time travel movie, some. a John Hughes comedy... And it's all put in a blender. Yeah. Uh, I think it kind of made a, a slurry, but someone else might not. It's impressively mounted, but uh, desperate. <laughs> this is true. In fourth place, I put Looper, um, which might seem surprising, although it's on the bottom half of the list. I still recommend the movie. Yep, still uh, a good time. It's it's kind of a nihilistic kick. When At the end of this, I think you could almost sell this as a horror movie. I mean, clearly it's sci-fi, but at its heart, it's a very dark story about very dark people I doing I think that's Shades of things. Sixth Sense still influencing you as well. <laughs> I get the horror vibe, but uh, just not as much in my opinion. And as much as I talk shit about Bruce Willis, he does not suck in the movie. No, no, He's not fine. at all. He's fine. He, in a way, it was tailor-made for Bruce Willis' role. He, he kills a lot of guys quite coldly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
all the way in third place, and I apologize. I put primer. Oh my god, friends <laughs> off. No. You son of a bitch. Oh, dude, uh, dude. How could I? How could I do that? Oh, I'm, um, well, oh. I like primer a lot. I love what it achieves on no budget. Um, I think it's super, super smart. When did you first see it? When I got it cheap on video, I'm going to say probably three or four years ago. It okay. had been around for a while. Fair enough. Yeah, because I think I saw it uh, when it first came out, <laughs> you know, so my my love for it happened then, which I think is what happened with you and Time Bandits. Yeah. You know, I fell in love with it at the time. I'm a genre guy. There's certain science fiction movies that I'll chomp at the bit. I'm definitely going to see that, blah, 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 blah. And there's certain horror movies that I, you know, seek out and want to watch. As, but truth is, Colin, eventually I'm probably going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Primer's in third place, but I encourage everybody to check it out. Oh, absolutely. It's the art house choice out of this bunch, and uh, it's all talk and no flash, mm -hmm. but I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, absolutely. In second place, I put Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits. Oh, I thought you would have made that number one. I Part of me like almost wants to make it number one because of my love for Gilliam, but I, I know it's me, and I do know that the movie is crazy, and I know that some people find Gilliam's flavor of crazy off-putting he's an, he's an acquired taste you know i'm also putting into account the sort of time travel idea of this and to me as much as it is time bandits this is an alice in wonderland dreamscape we go throughout history but we also go to mythological places we also go wherever this boy's imagination wants us to go and for me like the purest and most successful quote time travel movie that we talked about would have to be time crimes. Yeah, that you are like that is a fantastic movie. It's my number two. Yeah, but it's still so good. And I, I, I think I just have to qualify my my rankings. I, I kind of went with the the initial wow factor right. I got. And so for me, Primer did it because it, it has the 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 luxury of being an older film. So it, it kind of hooked me. Right. Uh, and um um in a more novel way 10 years ago. Um, and with Time Crimes, I think I was a little bit more uh, accustomed to the, um, the, the, not the, not the rhetoric, but the type of, the type of storytelling that a time travel movie does. But I was still infatuated with this movie, but I went on the, the, the initial buzz I got from Primer 10 years ago versus this one. But they were very close for me, Primer and, um, and Time Crimes. The Time Crimes is a fantastic... I, I don't yeah, dispute not, you not, putting that number it's one. Tough. It's a beautiful film. Number one and two were probably the toughest for me like uh, to sort out. But uh, yeah. it was an interesting list of movie. But am I right? Did we just go zero for six there? I think we did. I owe you a prize. I will figure that out off of the mic. But congratulations oh, for the man. win. Going zero this for is, six. Hey, who, has anybody else got zero for oh, six? Oh, we've yet? had a few. We've had a few winners. It doesn't mean you're a champion. I don't have a I, No, it means I'm a champion. Thank you for calling me a champion. Or an anti-champion? Uh, uh, uncle champion. As long as we're champions in our behalf. <laughs> you're, the, <laughs> you're the opposite of my friend Paxton Frank. Francis right now. Paxton Francis is the current champion of rank and review. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm glad. Zero for six. I'll still take it with honor. Uh, it was really fun doing it. And this. the thing is, is, I don't think we disagree in any major no. way on these movies. I think you hated Detention more than I did, but that's about it. For the most part, we like these movies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, Detention was, uh, I mean, it was a fun exercise to watch this movie, but I just think that it, was, it took up too much of my life, and I wish I had it back. I wish I had a time machine for that one, but the rest <laughs> were all really good times. I don't think you the could go thing wrong. Is, like the same writer director I would watch another movie from I'd give him another chance he yeah. knows what he's doing but I just I wouldn't watch that particular movie ever again alright yeah well I'm fast forwarding in time and I'm foreseeing a future in which Colin has done more than one rank and review oh I think I think I've seen this future I think you might be right sweet
And we've run out of time on this 91st episode of Rankin Review on time travel. But if you'd like to have your voice heard, you can send me an email at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Tell me what you think. Do you think it's as crazy as I do that uh, in the movie Time Bandits, those tiny immortal beings weren't happy just doing things as they were working for the creator and living forever that they decided to steal and (laughs) jump all over time to become thieves Uh, just send me any feedback that you have on the show I would welcome it give me that positive review on iTunes give me that like on Facebook it's really great for the morale and uh, I really enjoyed this episode of Rankin Review I hope you did as well and I hope you'll be listening to episode 92 Love as always, from your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons.